Welcome to the Yes Mate Snacks and Chats podcast. You're locked in with me, Poonam Dufa. We're going to be chatting all things food, family, identity, friendships, spirituality and creativity from a British South Asian perspective. Yes, yes. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Yes Mate Snacks and Chats podcast. I'm absolutely buzzing because my first guest is my pal, Simon Thompson. Hey, Sai, how's it going? Can you give everyone a bit of an intro into what you do and how things are going at the moment? Well, um, so I'm 30 years old. Um, I run a restaurant in South London called Masala Walla Cafe. Um, We offer kind of home-style Pakistani cooking. I run the place with my mum. It's been there since 2015, and um, it's been received quite well because obviously there's plenty of curry houses out there, but obviously... The offering is very limited and it's a male-dominated industry, let's face it. So for us as a couple of females to to be able to offer our home cuisine, but on a restaurant level, has been it's been a complete pleasure. And to this day, we still get good feedback uh, because, you know, we don't serve poppadoms. We don't serve, you know, your generic naans and the... Uh, mango chutneys. The mango chutneys and all that, you know, all the kind of... You know, I'm not in a waistcoat at the front um you know we play our own music and it's a very relaxed informal environment um so that that's what I've been doing for the last kind of four years before that I did a lot of retail management and most recently last year um I had a bit of a change to my health um status I got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer so that's incurable and I've been kind of learning to live with that and um you know through this sort of um, I suppose you say wake up call. Um, I've started writing and blogging about my experiences as well. So I've started a blog called Curry and Cancer, which we all love. And if you haven't heard about it, go check it out because Simon's been writing some beautiful stories and really talking honestly and openly about her experience with cancer. Um, and actually, I remember when we started chatting, you were telling me about when you got diagnosed and how you couldn't eat spice for a little while. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how that affected you? Well, being a, obviously, Pakistani girl, growing up, all I'd eaten is, you know, all I knew was spices. All I knew was flavour. Robust, really pungent Punjabi flavours. And um, the treatment that I'm under, and still to this day I'm under, is a targeted therapy drug called a fatinib. Now, generally, with a lot of these cancer drugs, there's going to be some quite severe side effects. Um, and I experienced uh, stomatitis, which is inflammation of the mouth and lips. And um, I took that really badly. And I just thought, what? Oh, my God. You know, food is my life. Mm. And how can you run a restaurant and sell food yet not even be able to, um, you know, eat a tomato? So even the acidity in a tomato was too much for my mouth to, wow. to deal with. But my eyes and my brain were telling me, this is food. You know, yeah. this is what you know and love. But as soon as it would touch my lips, I just it was too much. So I lost a lot of weight um, through anxiety as well. It was it, it it was a real learning experience upon reflection, but I wouldn't wish a, I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. And was there certain dishes that you've obviously, you know, you love to eat or you love to cook and share with your family and friends? Like I remember when when we first met and um, we were obviously we got on so well because we were talking about food and 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 cooking. Like was there a dish that you I guess was craving um after a certain amount of time like you know it could be like a beans on toast I'm sure it isn't a beans on toast but was there something I remember you talk about like alu gajra mutter which is um carrot potatoes and peas um 
And I remember you saying that how much you loved it. And I was like, oh, that's one of my dish, least favourite dishes. But then when I had your version of it, I was blown away. Um, so was, no yeah, like, so did you miss, did you miss, I guess, eating those simple but delicious meals, I guess? I think what brings me the most happiness is the simple food. You'd call it, it's, it, it's, it's the right word. So I'm guessing it's like peasant food. So for me, like dal, like a good lentil dish or a good sabzi, so a good vegetable masala, that's what really brings me true happiness. So it doesn't have to be so complicated, like, or too rich or too too exciting. I think those kind of everyday dishes um, resonate with me so much and there's such a quick way to like get good fuel in your body and especially while going through cancer what you know the first thing you want to do is nourish your body right and uh for me to not be able to eat those pungent flavors it must have been really difficult it was you had to eat bland food and for me i'm the girl who's like i get i get upset about ready sweet crisps <laughs> you know <laughs> give me some pepper <laughs> <laughs> passes the pepper and was that quite was it for a long period of time or were they like just for three days this is all you got to do like i think three days max is probably what i'd be able to to do without no spice so it went on for about um over a month i'd say about six weeks nearly uh because what they do is with the treatment, um, the doctors, they start you on a high dose and then work you down. So obviously I wasn't tolerating that that dose very well and I was having other side effects, so they made the decision to tone it down. But after that, it takes a certain amount of time for it to leave your system as well. So it was about a good six weeks that I kind of experienced this uh, stomatitis. like being told at school like in PE once like oh you smell of curry and it's like we don't we don't eat curry I never I remember thinking we don't eat curry we eat goody mm. uh, which is a, a yogurt based dish which, mm. cook, which is cooked with like gram flour and again it's like every family and every person has that like that fingerprint of that certain dish it's like we both eat jana dal mm. um, but the way we make it is completely different and I think it's really special to hold on to those values around food and family and stay connected to that especially in this day and age where you know we we're, we're in the day we're, we're in the day and age of deliveroo and uber eats and and no time and multiple jobs and you know everyone's too busy and we're forgetting to to cook yeah. we're forgetting to nourish our bodies we're forgetting to go home and cook a whole hearted meal um and yeah those 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 skills that have been passed down from generation to generation they're being lost and I suppose I'm, you know, our generation anyway, we're the, like, probably the last ones to, to make sure that we, we're learning too late, aren't we? We're going, hang on, I need to know this skill. This is something special here. My ancestral roots, you know, I need to hold on to this. And do you think that's part your parents educating you around that? But also you having an interest in that or like, is it something that works both ways? Because for me, definitely it was. Um, so like my dad is one of 10, like I've got a massive family. Mm. They all love food. They're all amazing cooks. And I guess even my cousins at my age, and I'm not again being biased, they're all really, really good cooks. Mm. Um, and that is because of the values that have been passed down from my grandmother to my aunts and my uncles, um, to my bougies and my fufugies. And even on my mum's side as well, like my mussies, um, my grandparents have instilled those values into them. Because again, yeah, food is not just about nourishment. It's about coming together, sitting on a table. It's about having a conversation. It's about having manners. It's about knowing how to serve. It's mm. knowing when to speak and when to shut up. Something that I'm still um, figuring out. <laughs> <laughs> but these values, like 
yeah, we, we're in our 30s and we know now like how important that is. But do you think that when you're young, you should take an interest into this? Um, or do you think that this could happen at a later stage in life and it's you know it's cool I think it's a natural process so for me like growing up um I grew up in Gravesend in Kent so similar to you um it's quite a predominantly white town and you know going to school there was probably about four brown kids so a lot of the time it was just about fitting in and um I didn't really yeah I didn't value what was happening at home and it's like a tale of two worlds so you go home you wear your kind of um traditional costume you wear your shalwad gummies um and then you go into school and you're kind of learning about Christian values so I was like very much like torn in between two cultures I felt like two worlds so I suppose yeah in at school busy fitting in and then at home embracing my kind of Pakistani values but not to the extent I do now I suppose now obviously running the restaurant it's kind of given me this um this drive for you know I'm seeking authenticity I suppose and I'm seeking uh value and I'm, I'm I'm trying to learn more about my roots because I suppose growing up there was a bit of a fight on my hands mm. an internal battle I say about trying to fit in with white you know predominantly white society but also hanging on to my kind of my Pakistani background I'm more at peace with both worlds now and I can I value both sides of me and it feels like it, it does it feels like an internal battle some you know you feel like you have two identities so it's about bringing it all together and actually and celebrating I, I remember when we were we were chatting and we were saying like growing up for both of us it's like with your white friends it's like you're brown and then with your brown friends it's like oh you're a bit of a coconut yeah but actually it's like well i'm, I'm neither i'm none of those things so I've read the word dual identity in a lot of like mainstream mags um, and for me personally the word dual identity doesn't resonate with me because I've always seen my identity as just me, as just one thing and ever since I've been little to now I've always embraced and celebrated my Punjabi culture. Mm. I've never been ashamed to be... Seek to be Punjabi, um, to be a young girl, and but still be from South East London, to be from like Bexley Heath, which is predominantly when I was growing up, predominantly quite white. My name has poo in it, literally P O O, and people used to, you know, take the mick out of me. But I always was proud to be this young Punjabi girl, and I've I feel like I've not lost that sight of who I am and it's like I know all of a sudden like you know being a woman of colour being someone from an ethnic background is you know all the hype these days and like the whole diversity inclusion kind of topics that are bubbling away um so for me yeah like dual identity isn't something I don't see my identity as two separate things Mm. did you do you feel the same or do you feel like there are parts of your identity that you would say are more I don't know, more in like that's kind of the more English side and this is the more Pakistani side. Or do you see like now that you're at this age, like you are just Saima? I feel like everything's coming together now. As you get older, things do make a lot more sense. But um, you know, those kind of formative years, I think it's just an awkward time anyway. When you're in your teens at school, oh my god, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Like boys are bullying you, or like in my case they were bullying they weren't chasing me <laughs> at school. And um, you know, and and 
and it, and girls are like trying to figure their kind of you know they figure their tribe out I suppose it's quite clicky at school as well I found that the you know a lot of the Sikh girls would stick together and a lot of the you know the white and the black you know, everyone, everyone's very clicky and I didn't actually really fit in I didn't fall into a niche completely I did have a few Indian friends um uh in the end and and, and I got through school okay but I would say yeah my experience was slightly different there was very awkward um you know they're they're the yeah like like I said before they're your formative years and that and through that that's where you learn and I suppose nowadays I'm I'm much more at peace with my dual identity I would say it's becoming one now I feel like this is this is this who is I am you, and yeah. I'm I'm carrying myself forward and and I'm very proud of who I am now yeah and do you feel that when you was growing up that you could have these conversations with your sisters with your mom. Like, if something didn't feel right, was there, like, emotional support from the family that you felt that... Because you're, like, from... Since I've known you, you're you're really honest, you're really open, and, you know, like, you're really straightforward, and I see, I guess I see a lot of myself in you, and um, were you this direct and straightforward and, 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 and open when you were growing up as you are now, or has it taken you time to build up to this? I think it takes time through development that you can kind of articulate yourself a lot better. Me and my sisters, like I have, I'm one of four sisters, which is incredible, and I'm really blessed to like have them by my side, especially with everything that's been going on recently. Uh, but yeah, growing up, they were a lot younger, so I felt like I couldn't have those kind of have those sorts of conversations with them or that sort of dialogue. Whereas now we're so like we go in deep all the time. It's just like. Oh my god, they are so and there's so much wisdom to be heard from those girls and you know they're all younger than me but gosh, they're so clever and they're so cool. Um like now I think, you know, the age we are now, just we're all in our 20s and I've just hit 30 recently. Um it's a little lot more understanding. Simon, when you were growing up, was there anyone in the media that you felt like you could look up to? Um, someone that looked like you, sounded like you? Because we're obviously similar, very similar age. I think I'm probably a year older than you. Yeah, we'll yeah, give it a take. Yeah. We'll give it a take. Early 30s. Early 30s. Um, Late 20s. Late 20s. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny because even, you know, when you're growing up, people are like, oh... Um, yeah, God, like when you get to 30, you're old. And it's like, man, my life's just beginning. I'm just getting, getting to know stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting started. Really? That just, you know. <laughs> but was there, like, for me, like, when I look back, there wasn't a lot of people, women especially, that I felt like that is going to be me in 10 years. Babes, it was the 90s. Yeah. So we're talking, was it Trevor McDonald? <laughs> We had <laughs> Trevor Nelson. <laughs> Trevor Nelson, yeah, Easy yeah, G. on the radio, yeah. yeah. And then, God, who else was there on the telly? I, and all I don't know, all that's coming back it was to me. All but, really, yeah. do you know what I mean? There was yeah. not a lot, and it was the era of celebrity, the Mickey 90s. Mickey Oliver. Mickey Oliver, Jamila Jamil. Jamil was she around? Yeah. No, she wasn't 90s. She, I don't know. I think no, she was, she was noughties. Yeah, she was um, And she's doing great stuff now, Jamila Jamil. Like, yeah, big she's up actually, Jamila. you know getting on the cover of magazines and stuff because that's unfortunately South Asian we don't get a lot of because again (laughs) we've spoken about this a lot I feel like in this moment in time in 2019 over the last few years there's been a huge rise within black culture and celebrating being black which is incredible and you know there's amazing um, platforms and people that are celebrating black identity and doing great things among that but I still feel within the South Asian community there are a few people a few little bubbles 
that are happening, but there still isn't someone who I can be like, wow, that's going to be me. Even like industry wise, so like, I'm I, I'm always searching for where is that person. Um, did you feel the same when you were growing up? Do you feel the same now? Um, I feel like now is um, times are changing and we're becoming a bit more inclusive and we're coming out of that era where our parents came to the UK and I think a lot of them were like, you need to be a doctor, you need to be a medic. But now everyone's gone, I've tried to be a medic, I've tried to be a pharmacist, I've tried to do all these sorts of things. Actually, I want to be a photographer or I want to work for Vice. So we're getting all these creative people coming through now, lots of new talent. Um, but there's still a lot more to do. There's a lot more. There, there needs to be a lot more different, like different voices. Um, you know, for me coming from the food industry, I feel like yes, there's a few female restaurateurs now, but there still needs to be way more. Where's the army at? Like, um, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm quite impatient for change, and it's only going to happen over time. But you know, um, it is happening just slowly. And to this day, I would say, yeah, like you know, going back to your original question. God, that is different. You know, people. You know, the people of color in the in the press and the media. Was there anyone I was looking up to? I'm gonna say a generic answer and it'd be like, oh, it's probably like Nelson Mandela, or like, do you know what I mean? Like a public figure. Yeah. You know, because. But was the, there wasn't really? I can't really recall a woman. Yeah. Who and I always say this like I'm not your. I always say I'm a bit of a rough diamond. So it's <laughs> like there was never there was never someone there, and even now I still feel like where is this person? And it's taking me this long to say to myself, "There's only one you, mate." That's it. And that is you, yeah. yes, mate. So yeah. go and smash it. And That's it's it. like we can't wait for the. I don't think we can wait for these platforms and wait for that person mm. to be shining. Mm. Like we should be those beacons of light to be shining for other people. And like I, I always say to you, like we there's all these people that are doing these amazing pockets of work, and it's actually about uplifting each other and creating these communities. But rising all together and not just staying within your box and not caring about someone else who is I guess who is in that same kind of situation well the only way is to to lift each other right and stick together I wrote a piece about um on my blog um sisterhood I don't know if you read it I haven't read it I've read the blurb damn girl (laughs) you know what I'm doing after this (laughs) get researching um yeah so I wrote a piece about sisterhood and just how I, I feel like you know with everything that's been happening in my life the only way I got through was through reaching out to others and 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 lifting others, which in turn made me feel good. And I think we've lost, especially in Western culture, we've lost a little bit of that. I think everyone's kind of... Take, take, take. Yeah, well, what's what's in it for me? Me, 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 me. What am I going to get out of this? And people have lost the art of, like, just doing doing someone a nice favour or doing someone a nice deed to make yourself feel better. Um, Yeah, I don't know where that stems from, though. I think it's... um, And, again, that boils down to giving without receiving mm. um and it, it again we've we speak a lot about this and you know it's all of a sudden become like a huge trend as well like having gratitude as well for mm. for all the good things and all the bad things that we think are bad but actually having gratitude and i guess if someone is struggling or if you know that you're in a situation or in a place where you can actually give back and help that person doesn't matter what it is when whichever struggle that they everyone's got struggles right because it boils down to people feel like they don't have enough time that's all mm. i hear like busy 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 time poor time poor cash poor cash poor and it's like i i always say this is 
if something is really, really important to you in your life, don't care what it is, you will make time for it. If you value something, you will prioritise that. And if you don't, simply you just won't. And I think that's that's what's happening right now. Like, we're just living in consume, fast, go, 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 go. And it's like people just need to stop and actually question how they're living and how that is not just affecting their families and, and um, like their immediate families, but actually what can they do to go beyond that bubble I guess and it's funny how you say it's trendy like gratitude is trendy it's like we lost it's like that's a, the that's basics like, yeah, it's like you a know human value it, like. somewhere along the line in in this kind of this really really busy world we lost basics we lost gratitude we lost compassion helping each other yeah. compassion yeah. and all these things they sound so like oh you know it's trendy you know these are real basic you know basic human um hu- what's the human word? values Va- values human like, values. i'm trying to even, like think <laughs> about the word i forgot yeah. the word then but yeah like basic values seems to have gone out the window because we're so busy we're in a rush all the time and um, like, onto the next one yeah it's like we're onto the next one chasing god knows what and because all we have is now yeah you know i had to learn that the hard way through like a terminal diagnosis but all we have is now nothing is like next week's not guaranteed for anybody and so obviously your um, diagnosis and everything that you've been, I guess, experiencing in the last 12 months, is that correct to say 12 months? Nearly, yes. Yeah. So my cancerversary would be, um, uh, yes, yeah, so I was diagnosed in April. Yeah, so, so coming yeah. up to 12 months. Cancerversary. Yeah. Cancer, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know, I might get a cake. <laughs> don't get me to bake a cake. Well, <laughs> I've heard you're a very good baker. No, I'm not a great baker. <laughs> not after my one whole dicky butter Glob jam and cake mess. Um, <laughs> but now looking back from the person that you was, let's just round it up to 12 months, mm-hmm. you've dealt with a lot, experienced a lot of things, mm-hmm. and I guess there were some things you can't box, you can't say that you was expecting that you were going to feel like that. So how has your mindset shifted from 12 months ago to now? Like if someone is listening to this and you know, suffering through mental illness or they've just been diagnosed with um, something like cancer. Hmm. What kind of advice could you give someone and what can they take away to, I guess, just help lighten the load or something that helped you that you wished somebody had told you when you got diagnosed? I think for me it was a... So everyone is so individual in their circumstances. So... I would always say to somebody who's been told, you know, if they've been, you know, a chronic illness, let's say, because cancer is just like other, you know, ailments or conditions. You know, it's something that's, you know, gone wrong in your body. So it can be like IBS or diabetes or it, we have to look at it that way because it's it's, it's going to happen a lot. And one in two people apparently are going to get this disease in their lifetime. Um and I would say just to go easy on herself. I think the kind of the thoughts that I washed over me when I was first diagnosed was, why me? And then it went on to, what's my legacy? What have I done? What's my stamp on this earth? What have I? And, you know, I I, I took it very badly and to the point of, of, of experiencing panic attacks. I was just so scared of death. Um, anybody going through that, I would say, just take it a day at a time. Because we can, we can all truly only take life a day at a time. And I suppose that's what I've learned is that, you know what, <laughs> there's a, 
there's a doctor I've been following and she said something like, death rate is 100%. Yeah. You know, that's it, it's inevitable. Death yeah. is inevitable. Yet we're all so scared of it and we're scared of the thought and we, you know, the, even the terminology we use, oh yeah, they've passed away or they've went to sleep. You and know, it's like they didn't go to sleep, they died. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, again, it's like my dad always says, like the one guarantee in life is that is death. You know, and that is going to happen to everyone. Yeah. It just is going to happen at different stages, different people's lives. Your dad's a legend. He's a legend, isn't he? Yeah. I just had a chat with him earlier and he's just full of lots of wisdom and and spiritual. Yeah, spiritual vibes. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. And, And I always say... Again, like having those tribes, having those people around you mm. that uplift you, um, that's so important. Like whether you whether you've been diagnosed with an illness or not, no, yeah. Like to have to have that around you, like that open and honest those conversations, as you've just said, like you have that with your sisters. And what? How would you? say to someone who I guess is is struggling with these kind of conversations and doesn't have that network would you say that they need to go and actually talk to somebody professional um anyone going through it uh, so I mean my like one of the top bits of advice I would say is just like I said I work in the food industry for me networking is really important so anything you're going through it's good to find like-minded folks that are going through so it could be a mental health issue or you know find other people that are going through anxiety find their coping tools find other people's coping tools with depression and you will find that through spending time with people that are going through experiences so I found a lot of um quite sounds so strange but just found a lot of comfort within the cancer community so there's an online cancer community and like there's something for everybody online now so even if you can't find those people in real life like the support groups and the professional help then you can go online so I found uh you know I found a a great charity called Trekstock um and they help young people in their 20s and 30s going through cancer um and and they do meetups in real life but through that I found people online and I've connected with them and we send each other messages all the time how's your treatment going and it just you just don't feel alone and I think loneliness is is one of the most dangerous things we can we can experience as humans and I think I'm sure the scientific evidence is coming out there that that loneliness it can kill you yeah it's it's just really bad for you um you need to find your tribes and you need to make sure that you have that sense of purpose you know that getting up and realizing that you know today might be a rubbish day but tomorrow might be better or you're going to go see so-and-so in three days just you have to have that sense of purpose and that really comes from connecting with people who like you just said you know you're not going to like everyone you're not going to love everyone no. vice versa but and it's you're about, not designed to yeah and it's about finding those people that you can just have a conversation with and reach out and and also I, 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 in our communities as well there's this whole thing like you shouldn't ask for help um you know or like you don't tell people your problems because you don't want to burden people with your problems mm. um, and how have you kind of um, navigated that so that was a big issue for me um, initially from, uh, you know, from a year ago. What I've learned is that, you know, especially with South Asians, is that we're quite reluctant to talk about our illness, um, you know, any kind of bad news in our community. So we don't talk about, um, yeah, cancer. Okay, so I'm going to go with it. I have cancer and um, my mum didn't know what cancer meant. And you're like, how did that, how did she miss that? It's not that she's 
dumb or anything like that. She's just your standard, like, she came in the 80s, raised four girls, um, d- divorced uh, 10 years later, um, didn't work, just raised the girls. And basically what happened is that her and her girlfriends or her family just weren't having those conversations. So I've personally had experiences of, you know, direct family members um, not telling me that their their family was riddled with cancer like their their father had died of bone cancer the mother had it twice never once was was the c word spoken about so when i got it i just thought no brown people don't get cancer what the hell well i wonder <laughs> how they've got this perception as well isn't it is it down to like a lack of education and um obviously th- these people you know th- that generation is having these conversations within people within their own communities who've never experienced that. So is it about broadening these conversations yeah. outside of the community and raising awareness? Well, we're the next generation, aren't we? So I think this is what's going to happen. This is why things need to change. Uh, because not only are we finding this lack of conversation, it's just the, it's the fact that people are dying and the outcomes are lower. Uh, so you'll find that... Um, so someone, so say a woman going... Th- a BAME woman going through cancer will be staged later than a white woman going through cancer. And that's just, that's actual fact. Wow. You know, so South Asian women are um, twice as likely to get depressed after a cancer diagnosis than a white woman. Didn't even know that. So that, wow. that you know, so statistics don't lie, do they? So that's, you know, that, 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 that speaks volumes. The silence speaks volumes. And um, Simon, can you tell us a little bit about how you're raising awareness through doing your Facebook community Page, she was mentioning yeah. that to me earlier. Yeah, let's I get that in like, there. Boss, boss, boss. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, I've been so a lot of people have been reaching out to me while I've been kind of forthcoming online about my experiences through my blog, and um, I've been getting you know all these stories like people just uh, you know DMing me and you know coming at me from different channels, and I just thought, okay, I need a spl- a place. These these stories, these people, they need a voice. Um, so I started a, a BAME cancer support group on Facebook. So you just search it, BAME cancer support, and it will come up. And it's simple as that. So it's a closed group. But it's a safe space for people to share their cancer diagnosis as well as their cultural challenges that they may have faced. So, you know, the stories that have been coming through, you know, so it's black, Asian, Chinese. I've had an Egyptian join the group. So there's lots of different people. Um, and an ethnic minority does not mean colour. It's and the people get confused yeah. by that, don't they? When when you say ethnic minority, it means that you can be Polish and join the group and talk talk about your, you know, your Polish, you know, the challenge that you face in your communities because the outcome is isn't low just in in Black and Asian. It's it's in other ethnic minorities as well. And are these people being open and having these conversations, or are they quite reserved and a little bit, you know, apprehensive about being so honest? I guess with strangers as well. Um, I think there's something quite magical about these groups, because there's a level of anonymity. I can't even say anonymity. Don't ask me that. I'm terrible. There's, I think, with online, I think people they feel like they can be a bit more open because it is a closed group. So there's just that they can be vulnerable on there. It's it's it, it, people feel comfortable. I think that's what we're trying to create here. It's like a comfortable, safe space online for people to just be like, you know what, I'm not the odd one out. That's amazing. <laughs> and what, um, can you just repeat what the Facebook group is called again? So it's BAME Cancer Support. So that's Black, Asian, Ethnic, Mon- Minority Ethnic. It's really difficult <laughs> to get your head around. So I kind of, I, tr- I first started it as Black, Asian, Minority Ethnic, and I actually can't be bothered to say the whole thing. So it's BAME Cancer Support. And do they have to fill in like um, some kind of request question? Because I know like when I've... Um, 
you know, signed up to be part of groups, you have to start, go through like these ten bloody questions and read the teas. It's two questions. Do you have, have do you or have you had cancer? Because it's not about going through cancer, it's about after as well, you know. You're never the same after a diagnosis, essentially. You you know, it's with you for the rest of your life. Um and then I think the next question is, are you an ethnic minority? <laughs> Yes, yes, enter. Because, <laughs> you know, we've had, yeah, you just, anyone can add anything on Facebook these days, so you just have to be cautious. <laughs> and is this giving you a sense of comfort as well and a sense of purpose that you're actually using your platform and your voice and to help, I guess, yeah, to uplift other people who yeah. are going through this? Well, this serves me, and as long as it serves me, I will push forward and carry on because it's helped me a lot and, um, you know, to realise that I'm not alone. So, you know, I've been speaking to black women online and, you know, they've got similar stories. So in their community, in African communities, you find, um, uh, they find that sometimes illness is witchcraft or black magic. And we have similarities in our communities as well. Whereas, um, you know, I come from a conservative Pakistani background, so it can be viewed as destiny. You know, it's written on the walls. Uh, it's written in your kind of life plan as such. But then you find that, you know, so for me, I, I'm young growing up here, but then, you know, Auntie down the road might not take that so well and she, 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 she may not go for generic treatments, which we found that's what's happening. A lot of people, um, you know, I've had people that have been told that they that don't get chemo. Don't get chemo. They've been told to not get chemo by their elders. And you're like, the doctor's telling me to get chemotherapy that's going to make me better. You know, I'm not going to take, like, your wacky therapies. Like, this is proven chemotherapy. This this is a proven modern medicine plan. And it's... <laughs> my, my face right now is like WTF. Yeah. And, but I can imagine, like, they're, they're just saying, like, oh, Maraji, Haldi, um, Gali Midge. Yeah. And, like, have three soups in the morning and have three... And it's just like, that's not going to work, mate. There's nothing wrong with a bit of turmeric, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, we love a bit yeah, of turmeric. Yeah. Have a bit of turmeric, turmeric tea, or whatever you got to do. Do those things if you have to, or whatever makes you, you know, whatever makes you feel good. But do you know a bit of rational thinking and realize that modern medicine there is there is good to come from it. And uh, and this is what I'm saying is that our elders, um, palliative care or um, uh, end of life care is not focused on, obviously. Uh, being from developing countries, our, our, our healthcare compared to the NHS is developing, isn't it? If you look at it that way, so when that's not been focused on, they don't have the the knowledge or the inkling to realise that you know what, a bit of chemotherapy, I might have a good chance at getting on with this. Um, you know, we're living with this disease. Um, they don't, they just don't have the information. But it's only through the youngsters that we go back to our parents and relate to them and educate them. And now my mum, through my experiences, understands cancer for real. You know, finally, she's had to learn the hard way. Obviously, no daughter wants to to go home and tell to mum that they're they're more likely to die before them. You know, that's it's, it's unimaginable. But she understands cancer, and she understands it because you're raising awareness and you're talking about it so honestly. So anyone who is listening, who is going through cancer know someone that's been diagnosed need support please do join the facebook group and definitely do hit up Simon on instagram Simon, what's your handle again so it's uh, at korean cancer and then uh, the restaurant is at masala wallet cafe guys follow <laughs> you. um so coming up 
So coming up, oh, I'm going to Barcelona next week. Oh, yeah, sister. you're going for your sisters, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, my sister's Hendu. She's getting married in May, so that's really exciting. Um, Work-wise, uh, yeah, so my sister stepped in uh, after my diagnosis, so they're making really good progress with the restaurant now. Um, while I take my time out with, obviously, uh, the unpredictability that cancer throws you, uh, I'm writing the cookbook. Because a, right. <laughs> a lot of our recipes aren't written. It's A lot of it's like the bubbles go this way and the... Oh you my know. god! Is, so to actually write it down is yeah, it's been quite interesting. It's been a cool experience. Oh my god, I'm so excited to read that. Have you got any? Um, can you share any kind of dishes that you're going to be putting in there, or are you going to keep it top secret? Oh, I think it's going to be classics. classics. I think none of our dishes are top secret, and yeah. people say like, "What's the secret with Punjabi food or Indian food?" And I always say like, "The the secret is patience." Yeah, you get the masala right. That's it, yeah. Anything that's going to taste banging. You brown your onions, you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> you are winning. So none of them are going to be a secret. It's just going to be a collection of like my favourite recipes and stories and things like that. So it should be really cool. Question is, is Gajra's Mutter going to be in there? You know. It's in there. Yeah, of course. Wait. Can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much, Sama. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Oh, I um, love to chat as always. Yeah, as always. Can't wait to actually come and enjoy some food at the restaurant and look forward to reading the cookbook when it comes out but obviously probably be speaking to you tomorrow no doubt probably (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much so bye a massive big up to my pal Saima thank you so much for giving up your time and coming to talk to me on the first ever episode of the yes mate snacks and chats podcast I hope you guys have all enjoyed listening if you have any comments any suggestions any feedback please feel free to get in touch with me at underscore ysm8 or feel free to drop me an email at ysm8events at gmail.com if you've got my number drop me a whatsapp drop me a text or just give me a call i can't wait to hear your thoughts yes mate we done